Bitcoin. Welcome to another POW market update. My name is Anson Leonard. This is Bitcoin and Markets. This is not investment advice, people. Do your own research. Let's get started. Welcome back to the show. Um, it's been a few days since I put out an episode. It's with Christmas. I took a few days off. Uh, I am a family man, so I did spend a lot of time with my family, which is good. We, we get caught up with this Bitcoin stuff, you know, fighting for the future, fighting for humanity, fighting for freedom um, and truth in the face of all these attacks on Bitcoin, all these lies out there. And um, it was really good to I didn't switch off, but I did uh, halfway switch off my uh, computer and get back with the family and it was it was really good so uh, Merry Christmas to everybody out there or happy holidays whatever uh, I'm not a religious person but I, I do like the family time it's an excuse for the family time what I don't like is the materialism but that that's for another episode let's talk about price okay we have you guys got to be following me on Twitter I think I'm gonna start possibly I don't want to become one of these like price groups on patreon where we're oh just waiting for the next pump hey, when pump sir but i, I think i'm going to be putting out some more charts like on patreon and stuff that way uh, that'll give people an incentive to go that way and support the show if you guys want to support the show go to patreon.com forward slash bitcoin and markets what i've been doing recently is when i have a rant on the show i'll put it on patreon i'll cut it out of the normal episode and i'll put it onto patreon so people can hear me rant over there but uh, yeah, so I tweeted out that we were in this triangle. I had a chart. I had a couple little arrows on there. I'm like, we're going to push up against this. I think it's going to take us a little while, but we're going to push through. And I, I wasn't even thinking about what time of the week and the the day and the holiday period, how this all lined up. I was just like looking at the charts and uh, it, it pushed up right there, right at the end of Christmas when futures started trading. And all of this, this dip was over and now we're going back up again. That's what I was looking at. And it was, it was dead on. It was dead on. So I think we are going up here. It could be, I mean, it's possible that it's really fast and we just shoot up, but I don't think so. I think we're going to have to, we still have a few bull, uh, bears that want to, want to fight. Okay. So the price is pushing into this resistance area. Um, we're pushing on a 50 hour moving average and into a larger, like a pretty decent size accumulation zone for being this close to all time highs right here. But we are pushing against that. We'll see if we can get into that and break through, but it's looking good. I would like to see even more volume on a follow through here. So if we come through this area uh, all the way up from uh, 15,000 to 17,000, there's, it's a pretty good resistance zone volume wise, uh, but if we can push into that area on good volume, I think that will be a huge sign that we continue further up. And this was has been an excuse for a lot of people to buy, right? Because if you're an institutional investor and you're looking, holy crap, I have a 46% discount. This price from top to bottom on Bifinex at least went 46%. And so if you are a big whale looking to get in and you see a 46% discount, holy crap, you're going to buy in. So I think we're going to, we have seen strong buy support and we're going to see, continue to see strong buying at these levels here. Also, if you're looking at futures and you have this big discount, man, that's 
just mouth-watering opportunity, a j delicious opportunity to get in. So I, I don't see this going down anytime soon, but at least significantly. The bottom is in, in other words. Uh, over Christmas, I only had a few people ask me. And, you know, there was this air. I don't know. You guys can fill me in uh, what you guys had this experience over Christmas of uh, talking with your family about Bitcoin. But it wasn't. I had one one person congratulate me on the price increase. I had uh, one person ask me just generally about Bitcoin. And, you know, they're, they're looking for like a two to five minute conversation. And they're, they want you to wrap up two to five years worth of Bitcoin. It's very hard. But I... I think I was approachable and, and ready to talk about that. And then uh, another person was seriously asking about buying. So a good mix there. And it's not, they're not laughing anymore. They're definitely not laughing. That's for sure. They actually take you seriously. They've all heard of Bitcoin other than from me. And so they are taking it much more seriously. They probably, quite a few people were interested in it. Like... <clears throat> wanted to ask me questions but didn't and that's fine i'm not going to be pushing anything on anybody right I, i'm we're through with that that was 2014 2013 bitcoin going after merchant adoption and going after people buying in now it's like you're buying i'm not i don't want you to buy in. i want to buy i want to buy more so there's there's that aspect fundamentals bit stamp price 15 297 it's pretty volatile right here. I saw it back under 15 a couple minutes ago, and now it's back up to 15.1. But I'm just going with my original price here, 15.297. That means a finny, or one ten-thousandth of a Bitcoin, is $1.52. The Mayer multiple. So this is, remember, the 200-day moving average, um, or the price divided by 200-day moving average, is 2.5. And that 200-day moving average is 5,600. That is an absolute floor. And it's only a 2.5 multiple. It is not in a bubble. Not in a bubble. What was it? Just like a month ago, we were at, was it five? We were up there in the five for this mayor multiple. And then I could see you, you st people start saying, oh, we're a little bit overpriced and stuff. But this worked. I mean, when it hit five, we corrected down. 46%. And now we're sitting at 2.5 right now. There's a lot of room left to run. Three-month futures. This is OK, uh, OKEX or Bitcoin Settled Futures. We have two futures markets now. We have Bitcoin Settled Futures, which is on the traditional kind of Bitcoin exchanges. That's what I'm calling them. And then you have Cash Settled Futures on the traditional legacy markets like CME and SIBO, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're popping up all over the place. And even access to these features is popping up all over the place. TD Ameritrade, um, Interactive Brokers, all, all these big brokerages out there are giving access to trade this. So it's very interesting. But that's two separate markets. And they, they act much differently. So the, the Bitcoin settled futures is 16400 or $1,200 premium. And that's about 7%. It's a pretty big premium over the the spot price well where cme futures and actually this is the one month that could be the difference here but cme if you look at their futures it's still not for the three months it's still not that high but they have the january contracts they're at fifteen thousand four hundred, so very small 100 premium that's where all the volume is too there's there's 
I think there's like roughly uh, 80 to 90% of the volume is on these one month, the closest contract. Uh, and then there's 5% or 10% on February and 5 or 10% on March. So those aren't really as liquid or anything. Uh, so the one month features are showing only a $100 premium. And, you know, we're all expecting, at least I'm expecting, January to come and a lot of money to move into Bitcoin because these hedge funds are waiting for the first of the year. Um, you know, endowment funds. Because remember, they move in, these big players move in maybe $100 million blocks of investment. So they're waiting for the next year. That, Of course, the individual traders, like let's say there's some people that know this big endowment is getting into Bitcoin, like for Yale or Princeton or Harvard or something. They're moving into Bitcoin uh, for 2% for the part of their endowment. Well, those individual people are going to be personally buying. And they can trickle in beforehand, front run the market a little bit, and now these endowments come in. And they're going to have purchasing strategy, uh, but there's not that many Bitcoin people. There's not that many Bitcoin. I even did some calculations about when the price dips like this and these strong holders like myself that don't sell their Bitcoin, they just want to look to accumulate Bitcoin. I'm estimating that it's, what, a million of us out there? Maybe these strong hand holders. And if they each spend $1,000 each dip, it's something like 2% of the available Bitcoin on the market that goes into cold storage on each one of these dips. That's like a deflationary shock, in my opinion. The money gets sucked off the market, and each dip that we have, these 30 40% dips, 2% of that Bitcoin is getting sucked off the market. And now we have, right after one of these, now we have big, uh, these big endowment funds and these big pension funds and these hedge funds come looking to diversify into Bitcoin. Right after this 2% deflationary shock, right after the Bcash, 4 to 5% deflationary shock from Bcash. I mean, it's just less and less Bitcoin to go around and higher, much higher demand. This price cannot go anywhere but up long term. Day to day, you're going to have big fluctuations. We just had a 46% one. But over a, on a monthly chart, this thing cannot go anywhere but up. Even a weekly chart, probably. I mean, I didn't look at the weekly chart. Let me take a look at that for this last week. We probably had a couple red candles. So like on a weekly chart, you might see, yeah, we had one big red candle here on the weekly chart. Just like we've seen throughout the almost the whole of 2017, we see one maximum two uh, weekly red candles and back up again. So now we've seen one. There is a chance that we see another one, of course. it's I'm not, I cannot guarantee you that you can go 50x long right now and be safe, obviously. But this is not financial advice. Looking good. Let's, what other numbers do we have here? I got a lot to catch up on because I haven't done one of these episodes in a while. Let's talk about market cap and these metrics because we've heard this a lot the last few days with the Bitcoin dominance index. Now, for those new people out there, we have this Bitcoin dominance index because Bitcoin is the granddaddy. Bitcoin is the big elephant in the room. It is the one that f takes all the, the slings and the arrows from the traditional market, the people that want to attack crypto. 
Bitcoin is where everything lands. And then you see these altcoins like Litecoin or um, Ethereum, and they exist in this protected umbrella. Bitcoin takes all these shots. Bitcoin, this is the Bitcoin space. I've been saying that for a long time. Anyway, so Bitcoin's market cap, $259 billion. And the global market cap, that includes all the altcoins for Bitcoin, is $583 billion. So it's less than half the Bitcoin dominance index. But I, there's this guy, the South African, uh, I think it's South Africa, I don't know, the, the African CNBC crypto show. It's called Crypto Trader. I was on, I believe it was Bitcoin Meister, with this Crypto Ran, is his name. And he tweeted out yesterday, like, look at the Bitcoin dominance index, it's down to 42. Is this going lower? It's probably going lower. Maybe Bitcoin's, maybe the flipping is going to happen. And he's all about these altcoins and things, right? I mean, that is part of his job. He's, it's, look at, look at me. I talk about Bitcoin, but he has to actually be entertaining and be on CNBC. So he has to talk about these altcoins and, and talk up this flipping bullshit. So that's, anyway, I tweeted at him and I was like, but Rand, you forgot to include my crypto that I'm launching. I, it's already worth $90 billion and coin market cap's not listing it. Oh, and you're not including one coin. So the, the dominance index really is like 35%. I mean, it's just ridiculous. What do they count in this dominance index? They're counting market cap. Ripple's not even a crypto. Ripple is just like one coin. How do you count Ripple in a dominance index? All of these other coins are centralized. They could be taken down in a second if the government wanted to, but they don't. Why? Because they're attacks on Bitcoin. The flipping is an attack on Bitcoin. It's a meme against Bitcoin. The most decentralized, the one that's going to cause this paradigm shift. So they're not going to attack those altcoins. So you got to think about that. I mean, you can't invest in them. Go ahead. But you're, it's best to buy and hold Bitcoin, in my opinion. So yeah, the dominance index is something like 40%. So what? This might as well be 20% because you can just fork a, fork the coin and add in a bunch of other altcoins out of the blue that have some silly... Like, anybody can make an altcoin that has a million dollar market cap. Right? All you gotta do is make a thousand of those. That's a billion. Why don't you make 10,000? What's the difference? There's no difference. So the, the dominance index makes no sense. I mean, if you could take some sort of volume weighted or available supply weighted uh, index of the top 10 maybe and compare that to Bitcoin may, that would be a much better measure but it still does not take into consideration that if Bitcoin goes down all of the altcoins go down as well Bitcoin is what is covering this entire space alright enough about that network stats so I have a, some difficulty stuff uh, let's see the next difficulty adjustment is estimated at 0% in about six days. I expect that to be a little bit higher because the price will be a little bit higher. So we're looking at 1% to 2%. For the, these difficulty adjustments, you know, they uh, for the new people out there listening, you they're trying to target 10-minute blocks. And if a lot more miners come on, a lot more hash power, they have to make it more difficult to find a block. That way you can keep it targeted at 10 minutes. That happens on Bitcoin every roughly every two weeks, 2016 blocks. The last two difficulty adjustments, because we had so much hash power coming on, there was like 18% and 17% increases. And now we're, we're 
estimated at about a 0%, but I can see it going to 1% or 2% by the end of six days from now. And I have some links in the show notes for you guys to go and, and do your own research. Check it out. Mempool. Now, I, I do use a couple different things for this mempool, and this has been a huge story over the last week or two about fees and all that. And I've stopped using the word spam on some of my tweets because spam, everyone will be like, there's no such thing as spam. They're paying. Blah, blah, blah. Well, okay, they're ill-intended. What is spam? It's ill-intended transactions. Just like spam email. They're, they take up your, they take up your attention. They're not, maybe they have scams in them. They're ill-intended. So these ill-intended transactions, there's a ton of them. There was a ton of them. And they're, they're getting eaten up slowly now. This, this very expensive spam attack was, uh, was made against Bitcoin. Now, the reason, one reason why we have fees is for spam prevention. Imagine if you get email and it cost everybody sending you these spam emails out, it cost them a penny an email. I mean, they couldn't blast you with, uh, they couldn't blast the internet with hundreds of thousands of these spam emails, millions that are right now free, right? It's just as expensive and time consuming to do one email as 10 million. So yeah, they just spam everything. But with Bitcoin, you have the spam prevention, which is the fees. So if the fees are really high, most likely the, the spam is really high. So, uh, okay, but my two different sources here. If you filter out a lot of this quote-unquote spam on tradeblock.com forward slash Bitcoin, you can see the mempool is down at 10 megabytes roughly, and that's really good. But if you look at the total size of the mempool, so that's all the different transactions, including the spam ones or the ill-intended transactions, there it's about 200 megabytes still and bitcoin will chew through those or those transactions get dropped out of people's mempools and you know we'll just continue on it has a hundred percent uptime basically it continued to function perfectly during this spam attack merged prs so this is the statistics from their the coding from the github of bitcoin they, they are the most active the most the largest the most sound uh, development process out there and they have the most eyes on the code remember the there's a saying i forget who said it but um with enough eyes every bug is shallow that means there there you cannot you cannot have bug free code there always will be bugs but the more people you have reviewing your code the easier it is to find those bugs that's one of the problems with ethereum is they have these bugs and nobody freaking looks at the goddamn code nobody this parody multi-sig bug was extremely obvious to people once it happened and nobody seemed to catch that beforehand. So you have all of these like website developers trying to develop a protocol, trying to develop major new smart contracts. You're going to have bugs all over the place and nobody's going to be able to review the goddamn code. So Ethereum's coding is like one step forward, two steps back. Where Bitcoin's is two steps forward, one step back, you know. So that's the kind of difference we're looking at here. And all right, so Bitcoin's merged PRs this week over Christmas. We still had 21 merges and 17 closed issues. That's pretty impressive. I'm, I'm guessing there's going to be a little surge here in the next week as well to try to get this uh, the interface for SegWit into core, which is not a consensus change. It's, it's just a way to use SegWit easier in core. So uh, they're really pushing to get that done and get that out, get that released. 
21 merges and 17 closed issues. All right. One of the biggest stories over this Christmas week, in my opinion, is the absolute surge in over-the-counter trading. At least my public over-the-counter trading stats that I use, the biggest one being local Bitcoins. Got a tweet, got a heads up from one of the listeners here. And so I retweeted him and uh, the local Bitcoins volume over the last week, $133.9 million worth of Bitcoin. That is a 34% increase in one week. Massive new all-time high, 34% increase in one week of this local Bitcoins. We're going up, people. Lots of people are buying Bitcoin. And remember, local Bitcoins has a huge premium. It's like 20% over spot price. And people are buying it up at record levels. Paxful had a good recovery. They're near all-time highs at right under $10 million last week. And LedgerX, over the Christmas holiday here for LedgerX, that's a, um, an options market, uh, a regulated options market in the U.S. They only had $4 million worth of uh, these 24-hour over-the-counter swaps. So that was a little bit lower. But they're probably going to jump up next week up $10 million. So we'll see. Also, um, BISC has had a great month. If you guys follow the podcast and follow some of the stuff in the space here, you know like there's a big push for these decentralized exchanges where you don't have to trust the website, uh, the third party, uh, like say Coinbase or Gemini or Bifinex. You transact peer-to-peer with people using a piece of software on your computer. It's a decentralized order book and stuff. Uh, that's BISC. There's a lot of these coming out right now, but BISC has been out for a while. And it hit almost $300,000 in volume over the last week. And the last month, they've broken a million. And that's really good for them. So congrats to BISC. Guys, you can check that out at BISC.network. Do a trade. Try it out with just a little bit of money. You know, and let's help these guys out. Get them some exposure. So, all right. So that's a public OTC data that I have at $147 million in one week transacted. That is all of my fundamentals. have a few things that I want to talk about. You guys know everything that's going on with Coinbase. Coinbase is an enemy of Bitcoin. Brian Armstrong is an enemy of Bitcoin. Uh, Blockchain.info is an enemy of Bitcoin. These guys are what they're trying to push. They're trying to make Bitcoin fit their business model. They've openly had a conspiracy against Bitcoin. That's what this, the 2x whole thing was a conspiracy It wasn't even a conspiracy theory. It was out in open conspiracy to try to take over Bitcoin development, take over Bitcoin. But you can't. I mean, everybody knew from the beginning that this wasn't going to work. I tweeted out the very first night of the NYA, like May 20th or whatever it was. And I said, it's DOA. It cannot work. Then, of course, it didn't. Coinbase has been having a lot of issues. They openly attacked Bitcoin with this Bcash. And now there's rumors that they're going to be adding all these new coins. They're turning into a shitcoin exchange. 
they're going to get taken down. They're in a regulatory prison, like the banks, like everybody else. Poloniex and Bittrex and those, they get around some of these regulations by not touching fiat. They use Tether. They have a huge demand for Tether. They probably are some of the principals in Tether. I'm guessing a lot of the deposits come from these exchanges to back Tether with dollars. But that's a whole different discussion. Anyway, the uh, Coinbase is outright attacking Bitcoin. Get your money off of Coinbase. Get your money off of Coinbase. Get your money off of Coinbase. If you have to keep it on Coinbase, put it in a vault. They have this vault feature where you get a private key. You get the private key. Put it in a vault on Coinbase and hold it there. Get your allocated account on Coinbase or get your money off of Coinbase. I have a feeling in about a year from now, we're going to be looking back and be like, oh shit, Coinbase exploded. No one saw that coming. How could you see Mt. Gox about to crash? People left their money on Mt. Gox for some goddamn reason. Get your money off of Coinbase. Don't use Coinbase. If you have to use a regulated exchange, because it is more convenient, and uh, the there's not any huge premiums like local Bitcoins, <clears throat> then use Gemini or Kraken. I know they all have their own kind of issues, but at least Gemini and Kraken aren't openly hostile. They did sign the NYA. I don't think Gemini did. Kraken did, I'm pretty sure. But they, I don't, I don't think they were the ones pushing it. They just thought this was, oh, you have consensus. Oh, all the core developers are involved. So, okay, yeah, we'll do it too. But then it turns out the core developers aren't involved. There's this big fight, and I bet Kraken was sitting there. Jesse Powell over there, Kraken was like, oh, damn. We made a mistake. We shouldn't have signed that. But now they had had to stick with it to save face and all this stuff. I mean, it's just a bad situation all around. But I I quote unquote like Kraken better than Coinbase, and I like Gemini better than Coinbase. So go that way, or get a Cash App and get a, one of these Cash cards, these debit card things, and start buying Bitcoin through Cash or through the Cash App. That's Square. There's different things you can do that you don't have to use Coinbase. I mean, they suck at this point. They can't even keep their trading up. They've been openly like, you couldn't deposit Bcash there because they wanted to support the price of it. So people couldn't sell at the higher, they couldn't arb, arbitrage Bcash by buying it on a lower exchange and selling it on Coinbase. Coinbase didn't want to allow that, so they stopped deposits of Bcash from the information I have. Get your money out of Coinbase. All right, that's it. Um, Samurai Wallet, I, I, gosh, I was probably the first person, like especially the first person in media to talk about the Samurai Wallet. I was like under, I think, the I was in the first hundred alpha testers of Samurai Wallet when it came out. And I talked about it on the show. This is a beautiful wallet, highly secure, great features and everything. And they are doing great things. It seems like every month they have some new feature or some new thinking outside of the box that they are doing that's pushing this Bitcoin forward. Well, they're here again. They acquired OXT.me. And if you guys haven't been to this website, I hadn't been to it until they till this, this blog post here. But Samurai has now acquired this OXT.me. Uh, it has visualizations. It's a block explorer, all these things. Very cool stuff happening on that website. Uh, I'm... I'm very excited to see what they do with it. 
it kind of matches the samurai, like the feel of it. It's it's slick and cool. So, uh, yeah, samurai is doing great things. Support samurai wallet, and but remember for your mobile wallets, because samurai is a mobile wallet. Um, only keep spending money on there. And I can't wait to see what they're going to do with Zero Link. That's the Nopara thing I've talked about on the show, and also the like Lightning when they're going to what they're going to get going for that. Uh, but I mean, I'm going to put my money on Samurai to do some awesome, awesome things and really make a difference in Bitcoin. They are the, they are friends of Bitcoin. They are the opposite of Coinbase. Like they are the opposite of Coinbase. They are like the polar opposites of Coinbase and Blockchain.info Samurai. So get on board, support them. They're doing great work. Good job, guys. There's so many things I could talk about um, here. I just have one more little rant that I want to go on. So you guys can send me articles you want me to talk about. I'm going to get back on my schedule of every two or three days releasing an episode here. But uh, this one I want to talk about is externalities. And externalities in economics are like extra costs that are brushed off to the entire market. I'd have to look up an exact, let me look up an exact definition so I don't sound like a moron. <laughs> externalities. So in uh, externality here, according to Google, we have a side effect or consequence of an industrial or commercial activity that affects other parties without this being reflected in the cost of the goods or the services involved, such as the pollution of the surrounding crops by bees keep for honey okay that's stupid but yeah so it's a um you off offload some of your cost onto the market as a whole and in bitcoin this is this happens all the time so people put their cost onto the network that's one of the reasons why these big blockers want to increase the block size because they don't want to do the hard work of making a good solution they want to put all their hard work onto the core developers and they want to put all of their cost of all this stuff and making transactions onto the network itself. They want to offload their externalities. One of the obvious examples here is pollution. So if I am a power company and I just produce power and I just dump my waste into the river, I'm going to pollute the entire river for everybody, but I can produce my electricity pretty cheap. Where if I'm a responsible power company and I treat my waste before I put it into the river, I increase my cost. So my competitor is actually a lower cost option because he's offloading his externalities onto the market as a whole. Okay, that is what we're dealing with here. People are polluting Bitcoin. They're polluting the blockchain trying to do this block size increase. And this is this came up in my thinking process because of Eric Voorhees. I really like some of the things Eric Voorhees says, and I know he's been around a long time. Um, I'm pretty sure he's a family man. He seems to be a decent person, but, uh, and I love his title of his blog, Money and State. I mean, that's, we need the separation of money and state for sure. Uh, he's a very smart guy, but he became successful, but he became successful by putting his externalities onto the network. So is Satoshi Dice, his first big success put all these UTXOs, he clogged up the network with all this dust so that he could make his profit. And once that dust started becoming expensive, Satoshi Dice went away because, you know, he was cutting corners on his costs. 
Either he was cutting corners on his costs or his whole idea could not exist if he had to pay full costs, right? So Bitcoin created this opportunity to do this and he took advantage of it and put externalities onto the network. And I have a big problem with that. I have a problem with that decision. Are those, is that whatever, however many millions he made off Satoshi Dice, is that worth uh, polluting Bitcoin? I mean, I don't think so. I don't think so. And so there was this tweet. I don't know if it was, I think it was by that Chris. Oh man, I'm going to butcher his last name. Bernsky. He's from the uh, ARK Invest. And he uh, was like, why do people attack Eric Voorhees? He's, he's one of the most successful people in space. Yeah, he's successful because the network has paid through externalities for him to become rich and successful. And now even look at Shapeshift. But what Shapeshift allows is a easy swap between altcoins and Bitcoin. And so what does it do? It creates a easier access to get these attacks on Bitcoin. So if you look at Bitcoin, this Bitcoin space, putting the externalities onto Bitcoin, he is a lot, he's giving their opening up an opportunity for these attacks on Bitcoin to take place. Now, yes, it does make Bitcoin stronger so that I'm sure that's what Eric would say. Like, Hey, it's a free market. Let these, the best coin win. Sure. Okay. When you train for something and you're like, let's say you're a boxer and you're training and you're getting hit in the head right or something like that you're you're getting stronger that's great but you're also causing long-term damage so again eric Voorhees is making money off of offloading his cost onto the network and he doesn't like these high fees because it puts a crimp into his business plan he sold off satoshi dice i'm guessing he's going to do a similar exit here with with shapeshift especially when we get atomic swaps i mean he he does Think ahead, he's a very smart guy, like I said, so uh, he's probably got some stuff going. I know they have this PRISM thing with uh, uh, Ethereum network, which is a huge mistake. I mean, it's a centralized contract. It's a centralized contract. It's not any decentralized bullshit that they're trying to sell you with Ethereum. It's a centralized contract. If it has a bug, who's going to fix it? Do you have to launch a whole new product? No. Do, can you save those uh, altcoins that are within that, being controlled by that smart contract? Yes. If you can't, that's retarded. Because there's going to be a bug that needs to be fixed. And the centralized party needs to fix it. It's a centralized contract. The government could come down and push a button on Eric Voorhees and make him take that contract down. It's centralized. That's, again, the, oh, that's another freaking great example. He's putting the externality of, of execution of that contract on the Ethereum network. Yeah, he's a master of offloading his externalities onto other chains or onto other people. So think about that when when we're doing the when we're talking about this. I'll maybe I'll tweet about that some more, but uh, this is a very important concept to understand here. And you know, in bi early Bitcoin, that was much easier because the block reward was higher. So there was a lot more incentive to mine. But now, what if it starts getting polluted? Because it's just like in a in an ecosystem, you have a ton of open space. It's the wild blue yonder right and if you put a little couple drops of pollution in there it's not going to be a big deal but once you've done that for a long time and it's become industrialized then every drop that you put in there makes a bigger difference because everybody's putting one little drop in there of pollution so uh, we're getting to that point in bitcoin where you have to be responsible look at coinbase oh this is getting to be a long rant you get to look at coinbase they have all of these utxos that they didn't manage all this 
bloat, internal bloat that they now they might not be able to pay for to transact, to get these, to spend this Bitcoin. It, it's, it, some people are saying it's going to cost them like 500 Bitcoins just to send 200. They're actually upside down and insolvent. So these externalities are going to come back to bite us. And then you're going to come back and listen to this episode. You'll be like, holy shit. We should have changed back then. We should have said something back then. Guys, thank you so much for listening. My name is Ansel Linder. This is Bitcoin and Markets. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. Anyway, peace, guys. See you later. 